What's up, Boone fam? This is Candace Wynn, the founder and executive director of Boone. This month in the Boone community, we're talking about how to help youth navigate doubts within their faith. Now, we could have done an episode on just that, but there's a ton of stuff that already exists on helping youth navigate doubt. So we really didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We wanted to get a bit more specific here and have a particular conversation on a topic that could hopefully provide a lot of you listening with support as you help your teens navigate this topic. So what are we talking about? We're talking about the black religious and spiritual experience within Christianity. In recent years, the term deconstruction has been used more and more frequently to describe the experience of someone who is working to reconcile their beliefs. Now, deconstruction typically occurs when an identity forming belief doesn't remain true amid a real life experience. An identity forming belief is a belief that we allow to shape our thoughts and our actions. Simply stated, if it's something that we believe and it makes us think a certain way or do certain things or not do certain things, it's an identity forming belief. Yet just because someone is asking questions about faith doesn't mean that they're deconstructing their faith. Deconstruction is the process of working to discover an entirely new faith narrative that will remain true regardless of what life throws its way. Now, I bring up deconstruction as we talk about teen doubt because I know for a fact that some teens and adults with African descent have both had questions about whether or not Christianity is authentically ours. The relationship between people with African descent and Christianity can feel pretty complicated. The effects of colonization on Christianity have left many wondering or even believing that Christianity was just another thing that Africans were forced to practice on the years of enslavement. But truth be told, it's way more complicated than that. Studies show that more and more teens have begun exploring spiritual practices like centering and have been exploring the sacred and the holy through the universe and within nature. Just look at the wrist of some teenagers and you'll see beaded bracelets. And some can even tell you all about the energy that different beads are meant to bring. Some teenagers have even gotten into astrology. Just ask them about your birth sign and what that's supposed to mean for you. Through this conversation today, we're journeying through the black religious and spiritual experience in Christianity and begin understanding a little bit about what's in the jambalaya that makes up our Christian faith. Ultimately, our goal with this episode is to shed some light on a few things to hopefully equip you to have a better conversations with your teenagers about this topic. I encourage you to have an open mind and to listen to this episode in its entirety. That's the only way to really grab a hold of what we're really trying to say. And remember, as always, head over to the Boone Community Facebook group and let's keep this conversation going. As for now, I hope you enjoyed this conversation and happy listening. Welcome to the Boom Podcast. I'm Candace Wynn, your host, and I'm here, of course, with everybody's favorite nephew, uncle, cousin, my boy, Robert E. Purvey. And today we have the Dr. Renee K. Harrison, who is the Associate Professor of African American and U.S. Religious History at the Howard University School of Divinity, the real HU. What's up, Doc? What's up, Candace? And Pervy, how are you both doing today? We are good. good. We are good. good. Super it's, excited about this conversation. Yeah. And I feel like we say that before every conversation. And I feel like every conversation is just like so authentically real. I'm so always super excited about every conversation that we have. But this one is really, really special. And let me tell you all why. Mm. So... Dr. Harrison and I, we met during my time at the Candler School of Theology when I was in seminary, and she was one of my professors. And there are some professors who, um, I'm sure we've all had these experiences, there are some professors that you have that you just take a liking to, and you just feel drawn to, and you just feel attracted and connected to. And that was you, Doc. I mean, like, honestly, legit, I'm not even, I'm saying this so, so seriously. If it was not for you, I don't know how I would have made it through Candler. And I mean that the times that you would let us just sit in your office and just be, they were some of the most sacred and holy times that holiest times that I had while I was, um, while I was at Candler and the community that you provided for us there, it was nothing like it. It was nothing like it. Um, so I'm grateful for your willingness to jump into this conversation. We were ready to prepare to have this conversation. I thought for probably two seconds about who I should have, who we should have. And at, at a second, at one second, 1.00 millisecond, it was 
I know exactly who to have. And it was you. You know, you recently have um, put out a new book called Black Hands, White House, Slave Labor and the Making of America. And y'all, I'm not going to listen. So I grew up a little bit different than what some people did. My grandmother wasn't playing. You know, she was a genealogist, you know, and she studied our um, family history all the way back to Africa. And she made sure that we knew our family history. I grew up right there in D.C., right? That The D.C. is a city that raised me between D.C. and P.G. County. So your book, Black Hands, White House, it talks about the making of America, and so I'm, I'm more of an audio book person. So I've been listening to this audio book and uh -oh. Uh -oh. I have been listening to the audio book doc and the way that you tell this story. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. I'm not, listen, I am completely hooked. I am. I'm not quite finished it yet, but I'm about halfway. It's 18 hours. It's an 18 hour listen, y'all. And I'm about halfway through and I listen while I'm cooking, while I'm driving, while I'm walking, I'm putting it, I'm plugged in. If y'all have not read it, I encourage you. We'll put it in the show notes, Black Hands, White House, um, Slave Labor and the Making of America. I used to spend, I know you said that you spent some time um, at the Library of Congress, both online and in person. My grandmother, we used to go to the Library of Congress with her as a child and just sit on the floor while she read and researched. And we got to have some off offline conversations about that because that kind of takes us too far to the left um, with this conversation. But I felt my grandmother's spirit a lot as I'm listening to you share that story with us. Um, but the conversation that we're talking about today is the black religious and spiritual experience in America and how we can make it make sense for teenagers, right? Because I feel like that conversation is had a lot when it comes to just the general population of the church, you mm -hmm. know, when it comes to just the black church in itself. But I don't know how many people are really talking about how to have this conversation with teenagers and mm -hmm. how to really engage teenagers in this conversation. You know, teenagers ask questions and the teenagers want to know what's going on. Because if you look at the state of the world that we're in, there's a lot of stuff that's floating around. Um, about Christianity and if it is authentically ours, you know, but I know this, this whole topic is a, it's a passion of yours, Doc. So how did you develop the, the passion to study this? Like where, where, where'd that come from? Your desire to study just African-American religious history and culture. I love us <laughs> and, and I love the ancestors. And I know that the ancestors didn't come across those waters singing Jesus, you know, I mean, they were mm -hmm. singing many things. And I thought it was important to honor them to talk about the diverse religious experiences because we're not a monolithic group, right? Mm -hmm. We not all sing the same song in the same way, you know? And so Psalm 137, laid by the rivers of Babylon, you know? And so there are many different people by the rivers of Babylon that look like us. And so I, mm -hmm. I thought it was important so much at our voices have been maligned and omitted and, and just, I mean, just whitewashed. And so mm -hmm. it's important, it was important to me to honor their voices. And mm. so that meant to honor the various ways they come to understand who God is, because that's the beauty of it. God is not mm. one dimensional. You know, we make God one dimensional, but God is not one dimensional. And so it was important in retelling what I knew of their story. And it's all interpretive, right? Because I don't think I'm off, but it's, mm -hmm. it's all interpretive. And you talk about your grandmother, genealogist. I mean, there's there's a sense that there is a past by which we come from, by which we come to know who we are. And so it was important to me to honor their voices as best as I could. And that meant not to tell a monolithic story of faith, but to take into consideration who they were before they came across the waters what civilizations and vast civilizations they had before they crossed those waters and what customs and cultural traditions and religious traditions they had coming across the water. And that moves me to this day, their mm -hmm. story, which in some sense makes up the tapestry of our story, that there is a way the youth can embrace that there isn't just one story that grandmama told. Her story mm -hmm. is part of a large tapestry of many stories. And there isn't just one story that the church or denomination tells. It is a tapestry of many different stories. And that's the gift that young people can, that's the well that young people can draw from. Connected to a past that doesn't negate their Christianity, but in some ways gives it more 
depth. That that will you speak of. I think that um I think our culture is moving towards where our young people don't have buckets to go draw from that well. Mm-hmm. And um the work you do gives hope and encouragement, right? Because it puts the bucket in the hands of those young people and say, Hey, there's a well for you to draw from. Mm-hmm. There's a deep, rich history of you um uh, that does not look like what you see around you. It's much deeper and much broad, much more broad than that. And um I guess I guess an offline question, but I know you can pick it up. How how do you your your students that you teach uh there at Howard, um and it's I'm about to be 40 next month. Right. And so I think I'm a gen, I may be a generation behind you, Doc. And so there's a generation behind me that is now sitting in your classroom. Mm-hmm. So how are they holding on to the information that's being taught to them? Are their eyes being open? Are they asking questions? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question because there it's like, you know, you're on the roller coaster ride. <laughs> you line up. You can't wait to get on. You You line up. You can't wait to get into seminary because you think it's in many ways going to reaffirm what you do on Sunday and that closes the book, but then it actually opens all that up. Mm-hmm. So they're in line waiting. And once they get on, they don't realize the roller coaster is as fast as, as they thought it was. It wasn't as wild as they thought it was. It wasn't as deep as they thought it was. They don't realize it had that many twists and turns. And so they, mm-hmm. they leave out of the space bewildered. I mean, in mm-hmm. the midst of they're bewildered. They don't know what to do with their faith. They don't even mm-hmm. know what faith is anymore. But the gift of that is, I remember when Randall Bailey told me, don't unpack people if you're not going to go through the process of packing them back. And so don't deconstruct mm-hmm. them. Don't have to use the deconstruction. And so I always know that I have the ancestral stool, um, stool, yes, and tool in my pocket. I always know that the story that they don't know or the story that they have been separated from is always in my wheelhouse. And mm. so when they're unpacked, that's when I bring in the stories of their past, which in some ways is not just the well from which they're drawing from the physicality of drawing, going down into a well, but it's actually the well that's inside them, right? Mm. That water that springs up a familiarity where they know, oh, something familiar about this that I didn't know existed that in some ways parts of my Christianity doesn't answer all of that comes to bear and they begin to see themselves anew. And in some ways they leave more informed. And one of the things I do in history of the black church is that through the semester, they're building what I call a course packet. They're Mm -hmm. actually re telling the story that they've heard from me and they're packaging up in a way so that they can retell it in their churches. Wow. And they can retell it in various mm. spheres. They become the teacher. That, wow. That is amazing. Yeah. That really, I, 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 and I just think about the way that, I'm sorry, I just got really stuck because that that is so powerful in just the ability to hear something and then be able to retell it so that you can reteach it and mm-hmm. package it in the ways that, you know, in, 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 in a different kind of way. And I think about how many people listening to this have not had an experience or an opportunity to do something like that mm-hmm. and how many people who are who are leading our youth are essentially just regurgitating information and they're just regurgitating the things that they might've heard over the years, but with the teenagers that exist today and even so gen alpha and gen Z. So we got, these are anybody born, you know, now and, and, you know, up until, um, uh, when is whatever gen Z starts? I can't think of right now. My, I'm drawing, drawing a blank, but, 2013. but thank you. No. Gen, gen Z. Z? So Gen Alpha, I'm sorry. Yeah. My kid, my kids are the beginning. Gen Alpha. Gen yeah, alpha our kids year. are Gen Alpha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I think about the way that these that these kids and teenagers are growing up today. Like, I know I grew up hearing that whole don't question God. Now I didn't believe it because my grandma made mm-hmm. sure I have knew my voice mattered and my thoughts and my opinions mattered. But there are a whole population of people who grew up with that whole understanding of you don't question God and you don't ask questions of God, but Gen Alpha and Gen Z, it's a whole nother generation, right? They're growing up and with their voices empowered in a way that our generations weren't necessarily really empowered. So the questions that they're asking in church, you know, leaders feel obligated to want to respond in some kind of way. And we need to have a, not necessarily an answer, but a response. 
you know, and we need to be able to engage the conversation. So the, the fact that you are setting so many people up to be able to engage the conversation, I want to go back to seminary all over again, doc. Can I please just order the class? <laughs> you, know what, you know what motivated all of that? I mean, you started off talking about me and the you coming into the office and how that reshaped and affirmed you in many ways, but you all did that for me, right? you all helped me to be a better teacher and a better human being. And so I think about, I'm, I'm going to share two quick stories, but I think about the ways in which um, I was just coming out of PhD studies at mm -hmm. Canada, right? and the ways in which you all embrace me and coming in there and pushing me. And, and it really, it did something for me because I had to say to myself, what is the purpose and power of my teaching? Mm -hmm. And all of that, I, I know and I knew then coming out of that with you all that my call is to be a disruptor mm. and a disruptor in the sense that I do not accept the status quo of things, meaning not that the status quo is problematic, but the status quo is very baseline. It doesn't leave room for the nuances and the complexities of life. And so I, I think about this thing when I was in, and you guys almost did this to me in, in a subtle way with the pushing. And I still have, I, I have to say the sidebar, um, that yin and yang you gave me when you took your trip, it is still on my altar. That's it so special. That's, that's, that's special. The, that's the impact <laughs> Allison and so many others and Malu and so many others had on my life. But I think yeah. about when I was um, teaching, I was also participating in Youth Hope Builders Academy uh -huh. at, at uh, uh, ITC, Denominational Theological Center. And I'm, I'm going to just share this quick story. I don't know if it has to be edited. I'm not going to use the curse word. But you the good. Go people, ahead, use it. <laughs> the young people, right? Because you Hope Builders Academy is very, you know, it's very structured. It's very clear. And, and this is what I mean about not allowing the nuances of life to come to bear. It's like, this is what you believe. This is how you believe. And this is why you should believe it. Don't ask any questions. Mm -hmm. so the young people would do what you all did. Come to my office. So they would have Youth Hope Builders Academy all day. But at nine o'clock at night, they would knock on my door mm -hmm. and we'd have rap sessions mm -hmm. up at the morning. So all the stuff that they had learned, they're now questioning because it didn't feel right. And so it gets debunked. It doesn't mean that it's it's wrong. It means that it's problematic because they are not getting the answers they need in a youth hope builders academy <laughs> they're like yeah. what are you doing? and so that was one aspect of it but it happened every year but i'll tell a quick story um i had some youth um they would they would cuss a lot right in youth hope builders academy so they they brought me in because you know i'm supposed to be the cool one right so to speak so they bring me in to talk to them about you know you don't do that the lord this the lord that and i didn't do that because that's their language. And mm. in many ways, you have to meet them where their language is. And so they would use the word MF a lot, right? Mm. You weren't and in I, there saying that with the kids, were you, Doc? No, I wasn't. But I said, do you know, <laughs> have you ever thought about the word MF and its origins? Mm. Have you ever thought about that? And so I proceeded to tell them a story during slavery, not that it's the origin of, but where the context of it brings trauma to Black existence. And I said, you know, I I told the story about an enslaved woman being separated from her child. Okay. And before she's separated from her child, he gets a severe beating. Mm. Right? And he gets sold off to another plantation. Years later. She marries a man and she's walk, watching, washing his back. Oh my God. And she says, oh my God, it's my son. Oh my God. Then I tell them another story about how they would, this slave breeding, these, these farms, and you can look this all up. You guys look it up because people think I'll be making this stuff up. They would have these slave breeding farms and they, the weekends, they, you know, put them all in the barn and say, Master say, in some cases, make me some babies. Go in there and make me some babies. 
And it's a form of forced breeding. Mm -hmm. And some of the slavers would joke and say, look at that, his mother. Mm -hmm. He's a... And when I didn't have to do anything, I didn't have to shame them. That's right. I didn't have to tell them no without context. I didn't have to make them feel less than an adult who was lording over them a superior way of being. I just had to educate them. Mm-hmm. Think. And so some of them came out of that context saying some, now I don't know what happened years down the road. They said, I will never use that word again. And so there's something about not what you said, not having the answer, but providing a response mm-hmm. to get start thinking about what are some of the practices we're doing, whether they're practices of faith or whether they're practices within our culture, whether they're practices within our own sense of self, what are the practices that we're doing that's causing trauma and harm onto our own bodies and onto other black bodies? So this, um, the misconception that Christianity is like a a white man's religion. Mm -hmm. I hear that a lot in a lot of Mm -hmm. uh, youth context. And you made a statement earlier. You said our ancestors didn't get off the boat all singing Jesus, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? So with um, those two things intertwined, Mm -hmm. right? That um, you have your belief in Jesus Christ, Mm -hmm. but you also have the history of your ancestors. Mm -hmm. How are you able to navigate those waters of a young person who is a believer of Jesus, their Christian faith, but they lack the knowledge of their ancestral history? Yeah. And and the understanding that sometimes those two may not clearly align. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah. that does not mean your ancestors should be taken away from your history and all that. You know what I mean? I mean because yeah. if you're not careful, it can be a real slippery slope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can. You, you all young people don't like jambalaya and it's OK. Yeah. And so what are all, all young people don't like gumbo and it's OK. So what do I mean by that? The richness of our past is the way in which we syncretize all of our traditions to create a religion that we call our own. It's not quite Christian. It's not quite African religion. It's not not quite Islam. It's not quite some of the um, East Asian traditions, but it's a little bit of all of them. It's a pot of jambalaya. It's a little bit of gumbo. And when we think of it that way, so what do I mean? I'm going to answer you, Pervy, I'm going to ask you a question in two ways. So when we think of it that way, the one way, this kind of mixing of the African traditions with Christianity, not Christianity. I'm sorry, I'm saying that backwards because we treat it as the African traditions are subservient. The Islamic traditions are subservient and Christianity is superior and some of that gets melted into, right? Grandmama goes to church on Sunday and worships Jesus, but she goes home in the evenings and creates roots for the people in the neighborhood. That's kind of secondary to what she does on Sunday. But that's not quite what was happening. They had their own traditions that they brought across the waters, and some had to um, do those in clandestine form, and some of them were able to do it in public settings. We know that in um, the West Indies, they had more they had more freedom to practice practice outwardly than we did here. So that kind of um, bringing of the traditional African traditions and Islam across the waters cannot be denied, right? That's what we tell them. It cannot be denied. They were practicing Ifa, Vodun, Akan, many other traditions, and Ifa being one of the most, you know, monolithic traditions that carried over a period of time. But we know that this is true. And they that our people were not, hear me when I say this, because I know whoever's listening is going to give me, it's going to push back on this. So we know that the majority of them were not practicing Christianity. Not the majority, a vast number were not practicing Christianity until the second great awakening. And so if you're listening, I'm saying, look up when the second great awakening is. 
Because when you do the math, if you were to really take 1619 as the origin, which we know is not, but it's just, it gives us a starting point to start talking about slavery in, uh, we know that it, it was existing prior to that. You got to talk about the Moors coming over and so on and so forth. So um, in, in terms of the transatlantic slave trade, in some sense, the starting point is 1619. So if you take 1619, right, just as a marker date, to the second great awakening. It was about 150 years, more or less. I've, it's more, but I'm, I want people to do their own math. 150 plus years that they were not introduced to Christianity in mass numbers. Missionaries hadn't even come over in mass numbers. So then the question is, what were black folks doing? <laughs> they had to be believing in something because we're spiritual people. We know that. Africans say, our religions are us and we are our religions. It's all everything that we do. So that means what were they doing? And so then when the enterprise, the great awakening and the the um, missionary enterprise starts to unfold, now they're interfacing with Christianity and they're making some negotiations. Some are mixing and blending traditions. Some are saying, I want no parts of it. I'm going to hold true to my Islamic faith and my African traditional religions. And some actually buy into, thank you, white man, for bringing me from this hedonistic Africa because I'm going to be the evangelist and I'm going to do exactly what that book says that you tell me it says. We have to account for those three different forms of Christian identities or religious identi identities within the Black tradition. So that means, and that's just three, because other scholars can say a vast amount more, but that's three. So to answer your question, some did a syncretizing of various traditions, the traditions they've already had with Christianity and created their own form of slave religion. That's the jambalaya. Mm -hmm. But some said, no, the father of my father of my father is Islamic is Muslim. And I'm going to hold to that. And so I think in some ways we have to allow young people to embrace that kind of diversity without demonizing them. Mm. That's the courage. Because when we do that, what we're saying is the way we know is the only way we know. And to some degree that is true because ignorance says that, but it's not the only way to know. And that's what we have to kind of open our chakras to our minds to. Now I know that's that's easier said than done because we've been baptized in a religion that says there's only one way. And as a disruptor, I'm saying maybe not. Maybe it's See, the way we've chosen and it works for us. And that's why we have to have, oh I'm I'm coming to DC. I'm coming. I, I want to pick your brain because I, I believe that even if you believe your way is the only way to go, it's not the only way to know. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And in we have to be courageous to say that. And when we're not courageous to say that, we participate in a status quo religion that keeps us in a status quo tradition benefiting the status quo and not us. Yeah. So who not the status quo? Right. Right. So, okay. So many thoughts. I know that some people are listening right now and they're like, okay, what are y'all doing? What are y'all talking about? Right. And I think I just... okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> some people have sent you there. Already, some good conservative Baptist <laughs> people and condemned you yeah. already. Doc. They, have, they have, they have. And <laughs> can I just say this in a minute? Go ahead. I know there are those of you out there that are struggling with what I have just said. Trust me, because a lot of you have been in my classrooms for the last 20 plus years. But I want you to just close your eyes for a second and say to yourself, what part of what we're discussing feels true to you? Hmm. Like, what hmm. part of what we're discussing feels true to you? They'll say to me, and I'm going to say this, I'll be quiet. They'll say to me, oh, Dr. Harrison, Jesus didn't have all that ancestral stuff. Jesus didn't have, what did Jesus do before he went for his death? He got on the, on the, he, what did he do? He laid in that garden and the first thing he did 
was call on Elijah, right? Am I right? Mm -hmm. And Moses, am I right? Or I don't know. Called on ancestors. You all know who he call on. He was calling on his ancestors to guide his way into what was going to happen. His death into a new consciousness. Yeah. And I think, you know, and I think hearing that it's one of those things where, who, if you think about that, the times of the transatlantic slave trade, right. And you think about all the people who were brought over to this quote unquote new world. Right. And no majority of them or your language, a vast, vast Mm -hmm. number of them did not practice Christianity, but some did. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Some That's did. And some I think did. that some people will get caught up hearing hearing you say that a vast number did not and and will negate the some that mm-hmm. did. But the reality is that, you know, yeah, there was there was Christianity in Africa. We know it. We know, you know, we think about, you know, like the Ethiopian eunuch. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, who, Ethiopians were who. Right. <laughs> The Ethiopian eunuch and so many others, like the Simon, Simon who carried the guy who carried the, the, the cross of Jesus. Like we know where there were there were Africans that were present in the Bible, right? We know this to be true. But I think it's important for us to to really just think about, you know, the 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 religious traditions and the practices that our ancestors carried with them mm-hmm. into America. And as you're talking about your gumbo and your jambalaya, how all of it's come together to create the things that we practice today and over the years a huge part of it yeah when we became you know became enslaved there was a whitewashing of christianity you know mm-hmm. there was a huge whitewashing of it and i think that's that's some to some degree the practice the the, the religious practices some people still practice today some even yeah. people of color practice today you know yeah yeah, if if I can just jump in here because there's two things to what you said, and I'm getting older, so I'm hoping my memory comes back. But you're right, right? So in no way am I saying that they mm-hmm. were not practicing Christianity. But this is this is how I complicate things even more because I tell my students, yeah, we know, and the numbers could have changed, you know, right? But but we know at some point in history, about five years ago, we know only about five percent of them were Christian. Mm-hmm. But here's the here's the dilemma we run into, right? And my my dear friend um, uh, who teaches now Ethiopian, uh, you know, the context of the African presence, those that were taking 11.9 to 12.5, some scholars estimate far more than what I've just given. Mm-hmm. That's, that's just a soft number that were taken, were taken primarily from West and West Central Africa. Mm. There, there's just no quorums about that. So when we start saying, well, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch and this is and that, that's mm-hmm. East Africa, right? Uh-huh. So, and I'm like, so that Ethiopian put on his moccasins and walked across the West Africa and Christianized everybody. Um, so, I, I mean, in some ways we have to think, okay, so the Christianization process happened as a result of trade, happened as a result of influence. But we also have to contend with that percentage. Hmm. Because when they, when they boarded those boats, there were more Muslims than Christians. See, that's what we don't deal with. There were more African traditionalists than Christians. And I'm, let me, for those of you that are struggling, let me help, let me say, let me soften it with what Candace said. Yes, there were some that were Christians. But the other problem we run into, <laughs> I'm going to complicate it just a little bit. Those that were Christian. It's like I always talk, think about when we Africanize the Bible. And yes, there is, there is no doubt that the African presence in the Bible is true, right? Mm-hmm. Without a doubt, when Solomon goes to the Queen of Sheba, right? He's going for her valuation. He's going for her to lay down the gauntlet for her to tell her, this is how you run a civilization. This is how you run royal. I mean, he's, he's going to her, right? But here's the problem we run into. We can be black all we want in that text. But our doctrines and our dogmas come from the European way of seeing the world. What do I mean? Mm. When you talk about your creed, your Nicene Creed, your Apostles' Creed, all of those creeds, they come out of the council meeting meetings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The council meetings were deciding what 
which books would make up the Bible. The council meetings were deciding who Jesus was. Was he, was he divine or human? The council meetings were deciding what creeds we adopt and don't adopt. What belief systems, what baptismal belief systems do we embrace? And so when young people say there's a whitewashing, when you just said there's a whitewashing, it is very true, mm-hmm. right? And I'm pushing us to say, but there's also a blackwashing, an enslaved blackwashing. When mama takes her indigenous traditions and she hears on these plantations, the slave owners proselytizing, she takes what she wants from that, mixes it, mixes it into the jambalaya pot and creates her own religion. That's where the power lies. The power lies in hearing and interpreting the gospel in the context of the Black experience and using it for our value, mm-hmm. not our damnation. Mm-hmm. Say that one more time. Our power lies mm-hmm. in taking the traditions that were useful to us. That's what grandmama did. When grandmama mm-hmm. said, she would hear slaves, and I know they always tell the story about Howard Thurman's grandmother, and it's right on point. Hear the stories of slave obey your masters. Grandma would say, that's not for me. I know it's in the good book, but it's not for me. But when grandma would hear we were born with the right to the tree of life, she would yeah. say, I know that because I know that Oshia tree uh-huh. is mine. And she would say, I know that, that I have right to the tree of life. I have right to freedom. She would take on that part of that scripture. Hmm. And when we take on the parts of the scripture that are for our well-being and for our growth and for our spiritual renewal and, and becoming, and we take the parts of the African traditions that are doing the same, because they're not all great, but you take the parts that are good and you take the parts of the Islamic traditions and the East African tradition, and you put them in that jambalaya pipe, pot, uh, pot and eat well, then you've done the thing that grandmama and them did on the slave plantation. They're not borrowing from the early council church meetings. They're not borrowing from a whitewashing of Christianity. They are creating their own pot of gumbalai. And mm. that's where our richness lies. And, and I think that um, that's so powerful because gr- growing up a church boy, right. And I, and I have a belief system that I have for myself personally, right. Mm-hmm. Not because of what my mom and my dad told me. Of course, some of those things lay true, but I've done the research and the heart work for myself and my belief system is that, right? Mm-hmm. But my mom and dad taught me that it's true ignorance when you don't avail yourself to mm-hmm. knowledge yep. about everything and everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And so the beautiful thing about us as a people is mm-hmm. something you said, I hope people understood it. And just listen to the fact, the number of it, right? There was 12.5 million, soft number, of slaves brought from West Africa through the transatlantic slave trade to America. From that, you have to open your mind up to knowing that, mm-hmm. hey, those 12.5 people weren't all Christians coming into America, but they were your ancestors. That's mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Right? And, 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 and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and it's okay. I think uh, Jerome Gray uh, wrote white, the whitewashing of Christianity. Mm-hmm. And in that book, he just talks about how um, the intentionality of, of wiping out the African mm-hmm. martyrs, philosophers, mm-hmm. theologians yep. that would bring into context a lot of who we are, what we mm-hmm. are, why we believe it. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's that big jambalaya pot you're talking about. And so I think I want leaders that are listening to this to understand that if you are leading teenagers, you are responsible for receiving knowledge of not just for what you believe or what you've been taught, mm-hmm. but holistically understand history, holistically understand past ancestry, because you have teens, you have kids who are going to ask questions and you want to answer from knowledge, not opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And right. Yeah. No, you're spot on. And let me say this, because I know people will push back and say, well, they all didn't arrive on, on North, North American mainline, you know, colonies, right? 
um, so we know, and I'm saying it's a soft number, the majority went to the West Indies and South America, right? And when we talk about North America, we talk about parts of Canada and then a small strip, the 13 American mainline colonies, only 5% arrived there. So 5% of that larger number actually mm -hmm. arrived in the Americas. So, so some people will say, well, it was such a small number and it was so much trauma that they didn't preserve their traditions, right? And they'll say, well, and then when other generations came, they learned the gospel from the community and their masters and the, the plantations. And so they began to adopt Christianity and they didn't take on the African piece. And then I'll say to you, but why do you ring shout in your churches today? Mm. Why mm. do you shout in your churches mm -hmm. today? Why do you speak in tongues in your churches today? Mm -hmm. Why do you engage in drumming and, and music and use all these instruments where does that come from mm. so i'm i'm saying that you don't have to have been dipped in the soil of africa to know that there's some isms in you right right you don't have to you know it when you when you go through the motions of the various traditions and i think there's something to be said when the us gets drived out of us to adopt something else. Mm -hmm. Why is that happening? Right. And some people will say it's happening because the goal is to get the real religion in us, right? The goal, no, no matter how it happened, the fact that we have God in Jesus now, that that's all that matters. But is it? Hmm. Hmm. And, and, and to that, like, I love that. Because to someone like me, who wholeheartedly believes that the only way to God is through Jesus Christ, that's my belief. That's my, my goal in life is to serve Christ the best way that I can and, and bring others into the knowledge of him so they can go to heaven. Mm -hmm. But I'm not opposed. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not closed-minded. Mm -hmm. My heart and my ears are wide open to knowledge of people who believe differently than me, yeah. but more so, like, my, my what did my ancestors believe in? Mm -hmm. That, cause mm -hmm. that's a part, that's, mm -hmm. that's the tapestry mm -hmm. of me. It's mm -hmm. in me, mm -hmm. right? And I want leaders to hear, like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with history. Mm -hmm. because it's your story, right? Yep. And there are some things about your past mm -hmm. that may make your present make sense mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that will pave way for a better future. Because yeah. I'm, I'm not raising ignorant kids. Go ahead. And in your desire to not raise ignorant kids, you want your kids to be able to grow up to make independent decisions, right? Yes. Yeah. And in order to make an independent decision, and this is how I operated when I was, you know, serving as a, as a youth pastor, um, I've never once told anybody what to believe. Mm -hmm. I simply mm -hmm. presented certain things mm -hmm. and you believe it because I don't believe it's my job to say, you must believe this. You know, mm -hmm. that that's a personal journey. If you tell somebody what they should believe, then what's going to happen once once that belief is comes up against the world, what happens? It crumbles mm -hmm. because it's not their their own belief. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I know for me personally, there was a period in my life. And I, I mean, when this was kind of maybe about, like, about 20 years ago, mm -hmm. I was going through something and I would say, God, I know and God, I've experienced the mm -hmm. Holy Spirit, I know, and the Holy Spirit, I have experienced. But Jesus, I don't know if I've experienced Jesus. And I get how we talk about the Trinity, and some people might be like, oh, but the three and the one, and the one and the three. And if you experience one, then you experience the other two, and they're, whole, they're the same. But for me at that point, I was like, no, God's Spirit, I feel the Holy Spirit so incredibly rich within me. And I think that was during a time when I was really, really um, exploring. Uh, and I, and I still feel like I'm a, um, and, and I'm not gonna, you know, some people say, oh, I'm spiritual. I'm not religious, you know? Um, but I do feel like spirit, spirituality is a huge part of what I do. And I feel mm -hmm. like the spiritual side of things is the side of things that the colonizers attempted mm -hmm. to separate mm -hmm. from us, 
right? Mm-hmm. But yet when it's deeply embedded within you, there's like this, this, I mean, listen, you put on certain, certain songs and you can't help but to move a little bit, right? Because yeah. it's just deeply within you. And I feel like that's what, that's what the Holy Spirit is. And I feel like um, as we talk about spirituality and religious, I mean, and African traditions, I feel like that's a huge piece of what has carried us over and what mm-hmm. has kept us going yep. and what's, yep. what's unique to black church content. I'm not saying the Holy spirit and isn't president in other churches. That's not what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. I'm saying the richness of it within black communities or even just communities of color. It's just so incredibly powerful because of the way that, that our, we have embraced it and we invite our, um, our ancestors and we engage that space in our present of, of, of different all the different things that might be around us in any given moment. Well, see, we talk about black history and we always talk about Harriet Tubman, black Moses, mm-hmm. right? And, and Harriet Tubman, Harriet Tubman, there's a memoir said that she, she lived between like physical existence mm-hmm. and a spiritual existence where mm-hmm. she, she flew over the land spiritually. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. how she was guided mm-hmm. to take slaves mm-hmm. from enslavement to freedom that it was, it was the spirit that That's moved right. her physical, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you read about that and you hear mm-hmm. about that, there's a spiritual nature mm-hmm. of, of us mm-hmm. that's not connected to how white Christianity is taught mm-hmm. in, our, in seminaries, yeah. in churches, mm-hmm. and in schools. Mm-hmm. And there is a need for Black leaders to open their minds yeah. To discover what our people believe, the deep rooted spirituality of our ancestors and how it makes us who we are. So you can be given whole truth to mm-hmm. the teens mm-hmm. you lead and giving them that decision making process. Because um, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of just half hearted leadership, right? Half hearted leadership and, and unknowledgeable um and leaders who don't seek knowledge. I, th- yeah. I think that um, if you really want to create young soldiers, men and women, um, in the battlefield of life, you have to seek knowledge. So you, like I said before, you're not giving your opinion, but you're giving things you've researched. Um, we right. said, Dr. Renee, you, you, you've done extensive. Re- I ordered the book. Like while we <laughs> I ordered it, like it, it'll be here tomorrow. Like, like, I, you know, like book, I, I ordered it. Well, I, I will tell you that book doesn't have a yeah. lot in terms of religion. I mean, the first. Oh no, 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 no! I want to yeah. read. I want to read your your mind, right? Yeah. You know, what I'm and, and and your research. See, look, I'm not lying. It'll, it'll be here. <laughs> yeah. So, you uh, know, I was, and this is not a pub for my first book, Enslaved Women. It's it's not. It's not what I'm about to say. But I was uh, Candace questioned earlier, like, how did I come to this place? And I, I remember when I was in doctoral studies. And I kept saying, they they all couldn't have been Christians. This doesn't make sense to me. And like, you won't find it. You won't find it. I, I'll never forget Diane Stewart, a just phenomenal scholar. But mm. she was my olive branch, right? She helped me to see that, you know, where you are is correct. And I was determined to find these narratives that told a different story. And they're there. You only need to go to the WPAs and some people will balk and say the WPAs are not, you know, workers progress administration documents that were written during the Great Depression to figure out how black people were sustaining themselves during poverty so white people could figure it out mm-hmm. as well. So um these documents, you know, in these documents, they're telling the story. And some of them are really telling these Christian stories that lay claim to our testimonies as Christian people. And some people are telling stories about flying Africans, right? And to what you were saying, right? And so to Harriet Tubman, you know, kind of rising above. And so I think in some ways we have to hold all these in creative tension Mm -hmm. and listen to what the stories are saying to us themselves. And the only way you can get a better sense of what they're saying is to understand the traditions that's that right. They come, right? Because mm-hmm. then you realize the way you're reading and interpreting is through a lens that's not Christian, but it's something else. And I, I, you know, I have a sister. I'm, I'm gonna say this, and even if she, you know, ends up down the road listening to, to Boom, right? I mean, it's gonna fully disclose. I have a sister that is the most self righteous person I've ever met in my life. Mm. She's, she's like 
I mean, the fence, the fist is like this. And she gets kind of a joy. You can see the smirk in her face. Mm. She schooled you. I know the truth, the way in the light. No one else knows it. I mean, she gets, it's like, and then you get into a conversation. I watch her in conversations and she keeps going to, she, you know, wears you down and shuts you up. And she like a prize fighter. I got it, you know. And this is how I know I have the truth because I beat you down to the point that mm. you can't say anything back. So we have a brother that's a pastor. So we have a brother that's a pastor. And that joker will preach Jesus is the way and he believes it in his heart. And I'm right there with him. I mean, he loves the gospel. He is on fire for ministry. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't turn people away that have questions. That's right. Because he understands the jambalaya pot. Mm-hmm. He understands the nation. He understands that everybody has to eat together. The way black people survive is that we all come together and we eat from the pot. Mm-hmm. It's not an I religion. It's a we religion. It's an I because what I know and have come to know is important as I grow. But the we, we come together. And he understands yeah. that. So he preaches. And he loves the Lord, but he's also open. Yeah. And he can hold that intention. Mm-hmm. And he has flocks of young people coming to him because yeah. he can hold it all intention. And the day once black people cannot afford to approach life with a cleansed fist. Yeah. We yeah. cannot afford to approach religion with a cleansed fist. We mm. cannot afford this only way possible with a clenched fist. And we know that because the more we clench our fists, the more young people are walking away from the tradition. Mm-hmm. They're not and, in it. Yeah. And, you know, and I'm glad you, you mentioned that, the, the, those two different approaches, because so, okay, so this episode, this title, this episode is titled Make It Make Sense. So we're trying to make it make sense. So we really want to just lean into some practical pieces, right? Because I think that this episode, I mean, for some, I'm not going to lie, this, this episode is going to be a shocker for some because some people just have not thought about Christianity mm-hmm. in the way that mm-hmm. we are talking about it today, right? Have not thought about, oh, what percentage of, of, of Africans who came over were, oh, well, where did it, huh? What? There's going to be a lot of questions. And I know for a fact that some of you all listening probably have some questions. And the truth of the matter is, I believe that we can't take somebody spiritually where we have not personally been. And yes. if we ourselves are questioning some of this stuff. Like, what do we do personally, right? Because there's two different sides of it, us as the leader and how we lead people. And then we have the people that God has led us, God has blessed us with the opportunity to lead and how do we engage them, right? Now, I personally, I think if you might be struggling with something and having a conversation, I'm not saying write a sermon about it and preach it to your people because they might not be asking those same questions, right? Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so it's like, and I'm not saying go over the next sermon you need, you need to preach needs to be about this, um, but discover some things for yourself first. Mm-hmm. And I believe that it's through that self-discovery and that self-understanding God will reveal uh, to us how to engage in conversations with other people. Because mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I think engaging in a conversation with someone prematurely is it does more harm than good. That's good. See, if you yeah. start answering yeah. questions that teenagers are not asking, it does yeah. more harm than yeah. good for, for them, you know? Um, but we've got to be able to be, on the front lines and leading this. So if your teenagers haven't started asking you some of these questions, this is the time for you to do some work and for mm-hmm. you to discover some things and you to figure out some things because, Oh, they're that day. Probably is probably going to come because like I said, these teenagers, they, 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 they had come from a different breed. Gen Z we thought was something, but Gen Alpha is coming in Gen Alpha, baby. If they anything like these two jokers, they live in my house. Come on. My God from Zion. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> they, they, they don't care about asking questions. They want to know no, they everything. Know. They know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I will say this in conjunction or connection to what you said, Can't get you a mentor. That's right. I, I, I just found me a new one on this podcast. She don't even know. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting all your information. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm serious because I, there is beauty in learning from mm-hmm. our people who've been where we haven't. That's right. And if, yeah. and if I'm going to effectively lead, 
mm-hmm. leaders that are coming up, leaders that are in their upper teens, early 20s, I have to hold on to the knowledge of somebody mm-hmm. that's 20 years in front of me. Mm-hmm. And if I can grab 20 years behind me, together we're all holding each other, that's right? right. And, yeah. and I just, um, I believe the Lord has very unique ways of sending people into your life that can help illuminate things from a different perspective. And uh, I had no clue what I was walking into today. Like Candace, to- <laughs> Candace told me you were amazing, but she didn't tell me you were this. So like you, um, you stuck with me. So I'm, I'm letting you know right now. <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. I'll, and I'll just say this for the journey that I've been on. So I met, I met you doc when I was in my early twenties, when mm. I was just started, I went straight from undergrad to seminary. And at that point in my life, I mean, I felt called to ministry and my mentors at the time were like, go to seminary. And I was like, okay, you know, I didn't really know what to do. Right. And at that point in my life, if you would have handed me a Bible and said, find the book of Isaiah, I wouldn't have been able to do it. I would not have been able to do it without, without a table of contents. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that my formative years of, you know, of, of my, you know, pre 18 and younger years of growing up within within the church it was just a melting pot of different religious traditions i'm not gonna go into all of it right now but i think that one of the things that you did for me doc is you helped to set me on a right trajectory early on and me really really diving into my faith and my spirituality so that i didn't have to deconstruct a whole lot of stuff many years later because mm-hmm. I was given the tools early on to be able to engage in certain certain conversations, to be able to articulate things in a certain kind of way. And that's my hope for other people, inviting you here so that other people are equipped with those tools. And I know that we're just, this is just, you know, a brief conversation, but I want people to be able to have the, 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 some sort of a knowledge or a starting point to engage in conversation. And we'll put some, put in the show notes, some additional resources that you can go dive into if you want to explore this conversation a bit more. But one of the things that I love about you, doc, is that you're not out there saying, you know, um, that, that, that Christianity is wrong and Christianity is this and Christianity is that you don't, you're not like that. You know, mm-hmm. you're just, Hey, here are the facts. Let's present some facts and you yeah. do with it what it is that you do. Let the look, one plants, one water, God gives the increase. We're just going to lay out the facts. Yeah. I, I take serious the scripture that says about studying to show thyself approved. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I take that serious because I see education not as a separation, but an elevation. Hmm. A elevation of my own consciousness and and the elevation of the conscious of my people, right? I don't see it as I am lording over knowledge, right? I see it as the dissemination and the sharing of knowledge, so that we can be better at being Christian. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so, how you said you came into the classroom where you didn't need that many tools to deconstruct. There are some students that come into the classroom they know Isaiah by heart. Yeah. You can't even tell them their interpretation of Isaiah is off because they're the, there's the Aramaic and the Hebrew and the Greek and the Latin, all these translations. You can't even tell them. They got grandmama's English version, King James version, well, the King's version. And they're like so sure what they know is what they know. And I'm only speaking to your well. Yeah. That's it. Because I know when that water starts moving and churning in the midnight hour when you're sleeping, you know something's off you'll start asking questions. And so you said something about the practical sense, right? And I love both of you. I love that. And I, and I would, this is easy, right? It's not a practical move. And I'm going to acknowledge that to everyone, but I'm going to encourage you to put a mantra on your mirror for Mm -hmm. you to see every morning, two words, fear, not. Mm. Because part of our struggle is our own fear. You know, what do we do with new knowledge when it, when it disrupts the knowledge we have been holding on to for so long? Does that mean we lose our, lose our religion? We're not sure. So it's like, forget the new knowledge. I'm going to hold on to this because I'm not ready. But you will find when you choose to fear not that <laughs> that rule, but that rule in that, in that 
gumbo pot or that sauce in that jambalaya pot, it rich it enriches the flavor of our traditions. And that's what I'm asking us to do. Get some hufa, or what do you call it? What do you say? That that you know the whisper, I don't know. I don't know. Get some of that. I don't know where you get some of that that power and might behind your religion. And I think because it's that power and might that helps our young people to say, all right, this makes a little more sense. Mm-hmm. And it keeps them from saying it's the white man's religion. Mm-hmm. That it draws from a rich well that's outside of us and also inside of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. If you If you fear knowledge, you are neglecting or denying yourself growth. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think I want every leader to hear uh, what Dr. Renee just said. Be okay living in that tension. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With an open hand and yeah. open heart. Yeah. That I mean, we said a lot, but I think if you could walk away from this podcast, and if you wanted to hold on to anything immediately, go back and watch it to grab a lot. If you want to hold on to anything immediately, understand living in the tension with an open hand, open heart for yourself as a leader mm-hmm. and seek out ways to gain knowledge without fearing that you will lose yourself. Mm-hmm. Right. But, and, and so I think that every leader needs to hear that. And I think mm-hmm. you would be, um, uh, better for your journey. And, um, I'm going to send an email to our bone CEO and I'm going to ask her, can we do a part two? I know. Listen, you know what I want to do, Doc? And you <laughs> might need to tell me to fall back, but I want to do, you know, an a episode really just diving into some African religious traditions and practices. Yeah. I think that hearing some of that in, in connecting some dots, I think that might be, I think that might be gold. Um, Cause I think that can we I, do it live. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all, all your all your listeners have to do is go to church on Sunday morning. They they right there in the African religion. No, I, I know, but, but right, and I agree. No, I agree. But I think that sometimes we don't necessarily connect those dots, and we don't see yeah. those things. And I think that yeah. that, that we, we 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 talked around a lot some of that. And I know from just me having been a student of yours and just all the reading that I do, I see certain things, but, and I, and I, but I don't know that we've necessarily really connected some dots in this conversation. And we already at an hour, we're going to have to have you as a regular guest. You're going to be our resident pastor, resident scholar, our resident artist, you know, storytelling, telling us some stories, letting us sit at your feet. Um, because I think that it, it's, it's essential conversation for us to just understand, you know, that, that, Hey, th- we, we, we in the middle of some jambalaya and, mm-hmm. and, when we get really, really self-righteous, then, you know, we're, we're, um, we're doing more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. Any last thought? Don't nobody want no gumbo with no nasty root. (laughs) I do know that we all have an origin. And the reason why I know that I can say what I say, because I'm where many people were, right? Right. I didn't just wake up with this full head of, you know, I was, I went to seminary, believed I was just, whoo, I was in that zone. You couldn't tell me anything. Yeah. And I'm ordained. I mean, I could give you the whole nine yard and people would be like, you know, and I've been called a witch and I say, thank you. But all of that, and I'm just, I, look, I know your viewers, but I've been called all of it. <laughs> I know you guys want to edit this people, No, it's because people don't understand. No, it's going to no, stay. No, it's going to stay. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a huge part because it's people, some people, we fear what we don't understand. Yeah, we yeah. don't understand. And we and we and try to put labels on the thing, those things too. And ask yourself, if you're a viewer, think about the things that have been demonized or omitted and ask yourself, were they powerful? Hmm. Hmm. Wow. And the- what remains that has a little weakness to it and you know it? Hmm. Wow. Doc, you have been, listen... This is good. This is good conversation. I am so grateful for your willingness to share and be here with us. I love you and I will love you forever. For those of y'all listening, don't forget to check out Dr. Harrison's, Dr. Renee K. Harrison's books, Black Hands, White House, A Slave Labor and the Making of America, and you know, all her other ones, The Slave Women and the Art of Resistance and the Antebellum in America. All all the other ones too, right? You threw a little shameless plug out there. Don't worry, I'll plug it for real. Just check don't out all of her books. No, it's too expensive. Don't buy it. Get it online. Look it up free. 
I want With you to free? have the knowledge. Yeah. Okay. The second you can cheat and get it online. I don't like it. Who says that? Who says I get my book free online? It's a library reference book, and the the um the colonizer that published it benefits and no one else does. So get the knowledge, mm. look it up. Slave Women, Art of Resistance, and Antebellum America. You can get it free online. There you go. Okay. Yeah, All I right. got that one free, but but I bought Black Hands. There you go. I, I'll give you that one. Yeah, but I heard Pervy say, can we go live? Yes, we can. That's All right. right. Right, we like some live questions too. Some live questions. That's what I'm about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, y'all. Let's keep the conversation going in the Boone Community Facebook group. Until next time, I will see you later. Love y'all. Peace.